Amen. I was told we were, um, we're out of hymnals again, so that's a good problem to have. We actually ordered, just ordered some more. They had a Black Friday deal, so we'll have some more coming, but I believe everyone had one. So amen. Praise God. We'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, today we're going to dive back into our reg- regular scheduled programming. Uh, we, took some devi- we took a deviation some weeks ago. And I went through a series on the theology of the family, and I encourage you to go back and listen to those if you missed any, and uh, really dig into what God's Word has to say about the family. But today we're going to get back to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we left off in chapter 6. Today we're going to examine arguably the most difficult duty of the believer. This duty was practically impossible for the unbeliever to perform, at least how God prescribes it and requires it. And even among believers can be the most difficult task to do. This, or the disobedience of this command, has led to the destruction of many families, many marriages, many churches, many businesses, and all kinds of relationships. Disobeying this command leads to all sorts of other evil and perverse behavior. Uh, Disobedience to this command leads to gossip, slander, anger, bitterness, rage. Disobedience to this command can even lead people to depression, even physical sickness and death. The duty that I'm referring to is forgiveness, to forgive others of their sins, to forgive others of their offenses, to forgive others of their wrongdoings, their injuries, their insults, etc. So serious of a command, not only are all these horrible repercussions that I listed, but more importantly, God provides a sober warning today in this passage to those who fail to forgive others as he requires. This warning is provided to us to cause us to examine our own hearts and honestly ask ourselves if our own sins have been forgiven from a holy and perfect God. Matthew chapter 6, we're on verses 14 and 15. Hear God's word. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, Lord, you would use your word as you do to be the power unto God to salvation, to edify your saints, to encourage, equip us, sanctify us. And Father, I pray the words that I speak, Lord, would be that which you have spoken, and no more, no less. We pray you'd be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're coming back to the Sermon on the Mount where I left off. It's been at least a month or two. Uh, So just to provide some quick context, because it's important when we're looking at the Bible, uh, to know the context of the passage. There's too many teachers and too many preachers out there who who just pluck scriptures out of the Bible and make them into whatever they want to make them. So it's important to have the context into what this passage is about, okay? And this whole section, 5, 6, and 7, these chapters, is part of the Sermon on the Mount given 
by Jesus. Okay, we've been into this sermon for quite some time. And where the context of this passage finds us starts in verse 1 of chapter 6, where Jesus is addressing spiritual pride. And it starts in verse 1 where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Then Jesus gives three examples to prove one point, and that's to be careful and to be aware of spiritual pride in your life. He gives the example of giving, fasting, and praying. Don't be like the hypocrites, he says. He gives a warning in each of these examples. He also gives a remedy, okay, how to overcome that spiritual pride by having a single focus and a single eye for the glory of God. And then gives a reward. You will have eternal blessings from God. And this is contrasted with the temporal praise of men that the religious leaders sought. When they prayed, they prayed before men to be seen. When they, when they gave of their alms, they did it and they sound a trumpet so everybody can see how great and spiritual they are. When they fasted, they, they would be gloomy so that people could see that they're such great religious people and they're fasting. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Okay, don't do it for the praise of men, but do it so that your Father in heaven is the only one who sees what you're doing. And you will have uh, rewards in heaven, he says. So this brings us to the Lord's Prayer, and I went through that. Uh, don't, he says, don't pray like those who have the spiritual pride, praying to be seen by others. He says, don't pray like the pagans who babble on because they think uh, that they're going to be heard by their words in verse 7. He says, don't be like them, but pray in this way. And then we went through the Lord's Prayer beginning in verse 9, 10 through 13, where we went through each of these six petitions, these six prayers that, that God gives us as a, as a template, as a, a prototype on how we ought to have our prayer life. And the heart, the very heart of the Lord's Prayer is in verse 12, where God addresses man's greatest need to be forgiven of our debts. It says, forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this leads us to our text. That's the context for which we find our text here in verse 14 and 15. Here in our text, we're given the reason for the petition in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Look at your Bibles, verse 14. It says, for if you forgive. So the word for there in the Greek actually is the word gar. It means to give a reason for what was previously said. This is a conjunction. It's assigning a reason. It's, it's used in an argument or an explanation or intensification. So Jesus is given a reason for what he had just said. That word for is what that conjunction means. Jesus is connecting what he is about to say in verse 14 with what he just said in the, in the Lord's Prayer in two verses above in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. These verses, verse 12, verses 14 and 15, tie directly together. You could almost read them together and jump over verse 13. This is one train of thought. So Jesus gives us the uh, reason in verse 14 for verse 12. 
So it's important that we know what verse 12 is saying. We must understand verse 12 to understand verses 14 and 15. The heart of the sermon, the heart of the Lord's Prayer is found in verse 12, as I mentioned. Jesus gives us mankind's greatest need. Our sin is a debt. It is a debt we accumulate. Each time we sin, we are accumulating more debt, and man's greatest need is to be forgiven of that debt. We petition God to forgive us of our debts. These are linked together, and the key word in verse 12 is the word as. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The word as there means like or in the same manner. The petition we're asking of God in verse 12 is to forgive us of our debts like we've forgiven others who have sinned against us or in the same manner as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Uh, Friends, you, you realize the way that you forgive others or the way that you don't forgive others is a reflection It's a reflection of how you view God's forgiveness. Only when you've been regenerated and born again, only when you've been a recipient of God's forgiveness, friends, can you truly forgive others in the way that God requires, in the same way that God forgives us, those who are in Christ Jesus. The deeper that we understand how God forgives us, the more that we learn about the great mercy in God and and the more we learn about how he forgives us, the better that we are enabled to forgive others. Ephesians 4.31 mirrors this. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13 says the same thing. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So there's this idea that the way that we ought to forgive others is in the same way that God has forgiven us. So how does God forgive? And that's where I want to spend just a few moments and go three ways and one reason uh, why God forgives. Three ways how God forgives a sinner. And this is important. Again, the more that we understand how God forgives us, the more we can understand how we ought to forgive others. God forgives us completely. He forgives us affectionately and habitually. And I'm going to go through... All three of those. First, completely. When God forgives a sinner, when God forgives them of their debts, not on their works, works can never atone for your sins, but by faith alone, by putting all your faith in Christ and Christ alone, when God forgives a sinner of their sins, he forgives them, friends, completely. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east From the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, 25. 
I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The word there is to wipe it away, and the other word is I will not remember it anymore. Now, God doesn't have amnesia, okay? God knows all things. When he says, I won't remember your sins anymore, is that he won't hold them against you to your account. When you come to Christ by repentance and faith, God puts the penalty for your sins that you deserve eternally in hell and credits it to his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That is the atoning work of Christ. Psalm 51, 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. This is the prayer King David when he came to repentance of his adulterous affair and his, his uh, coordinating the murder of his mistress's husband. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. God forgives completely. Acts 3.19, the apostle Peter says, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Again, God forgives. When he forgives, he doesn't forgive partially. He forgives completely. He wipes away your sins. Even the prophecy in Jeremiah 31, looking forward to the new covenant, he says in verse 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor, for each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. He's speaking of the new covenant that Jesus would enact. But then he says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews 8, verse 12, and again in Hebrews 10, verse 17. When God forgives, friends, he, give, he forgives completely. That is how we must forgive others. We must forgive them completely. You ever heard the term, well, I forgive, but I never forget. Have you heard that? Maybe you've said that. I've heard that from people. But that's foreign to Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we cannot forget things. We, we have a mind that will bring things up, but when somebody says, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget, that's not how God forgives, okay? That's not how God forgives. The difference, okay, between it being in the cortex of your mind as a memory that pops up from time to time, there's a difference with that, and I'll forgive, but I'll never forget, that's keeping an account of wrong. What you're saying is, you're not really forgiven. You're going to keep that record of wrongdoing. And at the ample time, when they cross me again, I'm going to bring it up against them. That's what that truly means. It's not a heart of forgiveness. It's not how God forgives. And God requires you and me, friends, to forgive how he forgives. And that is to forgive completely. Next, God forgives affectionately. Or you could say this compassionately. God forgives affectionately. He does not forgive hesitantly or begrudgingly or reluctantly. He doesn't forgive with resentment. He forgives with affection. 
with love, with compassion for the person who did him wrong. Friends, when somebody has sinned against you, ultimately their sin is against a holy and just God. And the way that we are to forgive others is the way that God forgives us with compassion, with love, with tenderness, with affection. So we need not to forgive others in a way that's begrudgingly or fine, I guess I'll forgive them. But that's not the heart of God. That's not doing what God requires. God requires you and me to forgive with an affectionate heart and love towards them. You know, think about the prodigal son. Uh, when, he, when he came back to his father's house, his father thought he was dead. And the, the Bible says that when his father saw him from a distance, okay, what did he do? Well, oh, I guess I'll forgive him. He just squandered all the wealth and can't believe he did that. And oh, I guess I got to forgive him. No, that's not what he did. He ran. He took off running to embrace his son, whom he thought was dead. Okay, and I know it's just a story, a made-up story that Jesus is using to portray an example. But the point is, is if, if, or not the point is, but just to conjecture, the son or the father had probably already forgiven his son for squandering his wealth and was praying and hoping and waiting for his son to return. That's how God saves a sinner. That's how God forgives you and I. If you came to Christ, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, you put all your faith and trust in Christ, he's forgiven you of such wretched sin in your life, both externally and internally. All of those bad thoughts that you've thought in your past, all those adulterous, uh, wicked, murderous thoughts that you've thought, God knows them all and he's forgiven you with love and compassion. And that is the way we are to forgive others, with love and compassion compassion third god forgives habitually god forgives habitually you know praise god jesus is in the habit of forgiving it's a habit to him the bible says that if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness he's in the habit god is in the habit of forgiving and he tells peter to do the same when peter asked how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? What's Jesus' answer? No, not seven times. Seven times 70. The Matthew 18, 21. So God is in the habit of forgiving and he calls us to be in the habit of forgiving. Now you might ask, well, I don't know, Mark. How, how, can, how can I keep forgiving the same person who does the same sin, who does the same thing, over and over and over. How can I continually forgive that person? Well, friends, we must understand when we truly grasp God's mercy, flip the question on God and you. You keep sinning against a holy and righteous God. You keep sinning against him. Why should he keep forgiving you, right? Because he is a loving and a merciful God. That's why you ought to keep forgiving. And friends, the root of this all, for anyone who struggles with forgiving others, there's one root, and the root of that is pride. The root of it is pride. We think we're better than we really are, and that we should be deserved in a different, or we should be treated in a different way, and how dare them do that to me. And so what we must understand is that in order to grow in this area, if you're in Christ, in order to grow in this area, we must grow in our humbleness, 
We must grow in knowing who we are apart from Christ. And we must grow in knowing who God is, a holy God, a loving but righteous and just God. So there's the three ways that God forgives. And why does God forgive? See, that's another thing. When we forgive as God is forgiven, we should do it the way he does it, but we should also do it with those same motives that he does it. So why does God forgive anybody of their sins? You know, if it was up, if it was, if it wasn't for the mercy of God, God could justly leave every mankind alone in their sins to their just condemnation. God doesn't owe anybody, friends, anybody eternal life. God doesn't owe anybody salvation. Okay? We must start there. But then why does God forgive? Because he's merciful. Yes, that's right. Because he is love. God is love. Yes, because God is gracious. All these attributes of God declare why he forgives us of our sins. But there's one overarching reason why God forgives sinners of their sins. Why God forgives little man who rebels against him and makes himself out to be his own God. Why he chooses to take a sinner out of his sin, uh, out of darkness, uh, out of their being dead in their sins, and regenerates them and opens up their blinded eyes and draws them to faith in Christ. There's only, or there's lots of reasons. There's one, one overarching reason that the Bible gives us as to why he forgives sinners. The reason why he forgives sinners, he does it for his name. You might think, oh, I've never heard that before. Well, that's what the Bible says. I read one scripture earlier. I'll read you another one. 1 John 2.12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for, here's the reason, for his name's sake. I read it earlier in Isaiah 43.25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgression. Why? For my own sake. God forgives because he's merciful, yes, God forgives because he is loving, yes, but ultimately, friends, we must understand that God forgives you of your sins for his glory, not yours. For his namesake, not your namesake. And that right there humbles man. Because that right there tells our sinful flesh, well, what do you mean he did it for himself? Isn't that pretty, that's pretty selfish of God, right? He didn't do it for me. Yes, he did. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, but friends, the overarching reason that God does anything is for his own glory. It says it right there in the text that your, your sins have been forgiven you if you're in Christ for his name's sake. And guess what, friends? That is why you ought to forgive. You ought to forgive for his name's sake. You ought to forgive not so that you can just go along to get along. And you, you should forgive not because you're in trouble or whatever it might be. You might have negative repercussions, you know, bitterness. You don't want that. That's true. But the ultimate reason why you and I should forgive others is for the glory of God, for the sake of his name. Amen? 
So now that brings us to the understanding of forgiveness. Now we can look at the text, verse 14 and 15. Uh, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now I will confess, this is a very difficult passage because at first reading, there seems to be a condition by which God will forgive you of your sins. We need forgiveness. That's the truth, right? We need to be forgiven of our sins to have eternal life with Christ. But are we required to forgive others of their sins as a condition for our salvation? As a condition to go to heaven? That's what it seems to say when you read it. Uh, the reformers of the 16th century also struggled with this question. And you've got to remember, they came out of this works-based salvation in the Roman Catholic Church, and they developed the uh, doctrine of justification by faith alone, not by works. But they struggled with this passage. In fact, John Calvin changed his position on this passage from his Institutes of Religion, which he wrote early on, to 10 to 15 years later in his commentaries. Uh, in his institutes, he seems to indicate that this is a condition for our salvation, but then he changes that in his commentaries 10 to 15 years later. Even the uh, reformer Zwingli uh, struggled with this. He called it a mountain he could not climb. It was that much of a difficult passage coming out of the workspace salvation. Uh, it actually says... One historian scholar uh, on Zwingli said, quote, It is known that Zwingli had a conflict of conscience with regard to this petition before he joined the Reformation. It appeared to him like a mountain he could not ascend. He repeatedly turned back or turned away from it. He confessed he could find no peace at the time because he was afraid that God would judge him according to the measure of forgiveness he meted out towards his debtors. Uh, the writer goes on to say that, quote, Zingli only found peace when he recognized this petition reveals the supplicants, or the one petitioning, reveals their sins and teaches him to rely on the grace of God. In this way, Zwingli revised his earlier understanding, namely that human forgiveness was a prerequisite for the forgiveness of sins by God. So what they came to understand that this wasn't a conditional statement, but it was a statement that Jesus is using as a warning and an admonition and also a comfort for believers. So the whole of scripture that we are saved by faith, not by works, we're not saved based upon how well we forgive others, but Jesus uses this passage and this truth to warn us. Uh, he uses this passage to admonish believers and to comfort us. So first, he provides a warning that if we are not people who, by God's grace, and although imperfectly at times, if we're, we're people who do not forgive others as God has forgiven us, it shows us that we are not one of his children and we are in need of our own forgiveness. R.C. Sproul puts it this way, quote, simply put, if we do not forgive we are setting a higher bar than God does. We are exalting ourselves 
as better than other sinners in the Lord's eyes, revealing that we have likely not understood the grace of God at all, he says. We show that we are not relying on the Father's promises alone, but are instead trying to bring something before God to earn his favor. We are depicting the attitude that says, I deserve God's forgiveness, but others do not. Mm. He says, in sum, if we persist in withholding our forgiveness, we reveal that we do not know Christ. And John Calvin, in his later commentary, writes, quote, Those who refuse to forget the injuries which have been done to them, in other words, those who refuse to, to uh, forgive others, devote themselves willingly and deliberately to destruction and knowingly prevent God from forgiving them. Jesus issues a stark warning for his listeners. We are not perfect, friends, but if you do not have an inclination and a desire and a somewhat of a habit, although imperfectly, to forgive others in the way and the manner and the reason God forgives sinners, it may reveal to you, friends, that you are not one of God's children. It may reveal to you that you've never received the forgiveness of God only through repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus Christ. The second reason he gives this passage is for admonition. This is to believers, to admonish believers to become more like Christ, to grow in our area of sanctification. So it's a warning to unbelievers, an admonition to believers. Uh, Jesus says this elsewhere in the gospel, such as Mark 11, where he's talking to his disciples about prayer. He says in verse 26, Mark 11, 25 and 26, whenever you stand praying, he says, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. Paul echoes this admonition for believers in Ephesians 4, 31, 32. I read it earlier, which uh, he ends by saying, forgiving each other as God and Christ has forgiven you. Then in Matthew 18, turn there with me, Right after he addresses church discipline, right after Peter asks how many times must he forgive? Seven? No, he says seven times 70. Right after that, Jesus gives this parable about forgiveness. And I want you to listen to this and consider this parable deeply. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 23. Right after Jesus says up to 70 times 7, that's how long many times you're to forgive others. Again, the 4. See the 4 there in your Bible? Verse 23. For this reason. Okay? He's bringing all that context into this parable. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had began, begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, 
and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Sound familiar? But that slave, who was forgiven, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So the fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Jesus ends by saying, My heavenly Father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Now notice this parable is for believers. His disciples, his children, when they do not forgive as he has forgiven them. Notice the contrast between the first debt and the second debt. The first debt was how much? 10,000 talents. The second debt, the debt that the slave would not show mercy to, was 100 denarii. Now, to put this in a little bit of context for you, because you don't know what, what's a talent, what's a denarii. Okay, so this man was forgiven of a debt of 10,000 talents. He goes out to one of his slaves who owed him 100 denarii and does not forgive him when he pleads for mercy. One denarii was about a day's wages. So 100 denarii, denarii would be three months' wages. That's what he did not forgive of his fellow slave. Talents were the largest amount of currency of the day. And to say 10,000 to them, they didn't use millions. Okay, to say 10,000 to them would have been an insurmountable amount of money. To us, it would have been millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, one scholar actually compared uh, 100 denarii to today being about $30,000. So that's not, you know, it's a decent amount of money to be in debt, right? But the 10,000 talents in compared to $30,000 would be $220 million as a comparison, okay? The point that Jesus is trying to make, friends, do you see it? That this slave had an insurmountable amount of money, amount of debt that he owed, and he begged, he pleaded for mercy, and the Lord gave him freedom of his debt, forgave him of this insurmountable amount of debt that he absolutely could not repay. Then he goes to a fellow slave who owed just a portion, a small fracture. The debt was small, tiny, compared to what he had just been forgiven. And he would not have mercy upon him. 
but demanded that he would repay it, threw him in prison until he would pay every last cent. The point is, friends, uh, the debt that others incur by sinning against you pales in comparison to the sins that you have committed against a holy God. You understand? When we understand the enormity of the debt that God has canceled, if you are in Christ, if you understand the amount of debt that God has just wiped away for all of time, that God has blotted out, uh, that the, uh, Paul said in Colossae that he canceled the certificate of debt, which had decrees against us, it said. When we understand, brothers and sisters, that enormous amount of debt that God has wiped away, that, that he has placed it upon Jesus Christ's account on the cross, when he poured out his wrath upon Jesus, it was for the sins of you and I if you're in Christ. When we understand that, it becomes quite easier to forgive those who have sinned against us. What is their little sin to us compared to our sin and rebellion towards God? We ought to grow in our love and understanding of the gospel and freely forgive, freely forgive others. Now, I want to be clear lest there is any confusion this does not negate situations where law enforcement or courts need to be involved. Okay, friends, we can forgive personal injuries, even crimes committed against us, crimes committed against our family, while at the same time seeking justice that's rendered by the civil magistrate. In fact, that is actually love, love for neighbor. Uh, when you have a person who commits a crime against a loved one or against yourself, uh, that's the jurisdiction of the civil magistrate. And it's not, uh, it's not uh, either or. It's not, no, you should just forgive them and, and, and not make sure that justice uh, prevails. No, it's not an either or. It's a both and. Uh, you've probably seen these clips of uh, people sitting in court with somebody who is, you know, horrible crimes against a family member, murder, or whatever you might see. And, and you see these clips of these people when they're asked if they want to say anything. Uh, it's remarkable when they sit there and say, I have forgiven you to that person. And that you can tell that they truly mean it. I have forgiven you. Uh, that doesn't mean they're going to pull back and say, no, that murderer shouldn't suffer and have a consequence for their crime. Uh, no, it's not an either or. It's a, it's a both and. So Jesus provides this passage as a warning as an admonition for believers, but also for a comfort, friends. Uh, many times as Christians, we, we struggle with assurance. Am I truly saved? Has God really saved me? Am I really putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Has he really caused me to be born again? Many Christians struggle with that. When we, again, by God's grace, are able to forgive others when they sin against us, it's as if God places a seal upon our hearts, giving us confidence that our sins too have been forgiven. Because friends, this type of forgiveness is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. You friends, if you're not in Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot forgive in the way and the manner as Jesus commands you to forgive. Because ultimately, an unbeliever, if they do forgive somebody, it's not ultimately for the sake of God's name, for, the, for his glory. It's for some other reason. 
So unbelievers cannot forgive as God requires. And when we find ourselves forgiving somebody who's done something horrendous or has said something awful about you or has offended you in such a way that as an, as an unbeliever, you would have had just shriveled up and died or had so much anger and bitterness towards that person. But when you find yourself forgiving that person and you don't know how it happened, I'll tell you how it happened. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That's not your good work. That's not your goodness. Yes, you had to choose to forgive, but even that grace is by the Holy Spirit and by God. It's as if God gives us comfort and, and assures us that, yes, although we're imperfect, uh, when we forgive as Christ forgives, it's validation that Jesus, God through Jesus Christ, has also forgiven us. So in conclusion, I want to ask you, dear friend, what holds you back from forgiving others? Do you hold resentment towards others, bitterness? Much of that comes from the root of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness doesn't end there, friends. It develops into these other things where you just become an embittered person because you won't forgive of those things. Who are those people that you haven't forgiven in your life years ago? And I want to ask you fathers, do you forgive? Uh, Mothers, do you forgive? Children, do you forgive your siblings when they offend you? We're all required to forgive as God has forgiven us. And maybe this is an opportunity that the Holy Spirit is using to show, wow, I, I don't forgive. I hold things in. I keep records of wrong. Friends, God is not pleased. It is, it is sin when you do that. And I call you to repentance. And God is a loving and merciful and a faithful God and he will forgive you of your sins. But if that is a habit in your life where you're just an unforgiving person from the youngest in the room listening to the oldest, if it is a habit in your life to keep records of wrong, to be bitter towards people because of things they've done to you in the past, then friends, that's a warning that Jesus has given you today that you may be on the wrong path. You may be on the path of destruction to an eternity in hell uh, to, to suffer the just punishment for your sin. But God, rich in his mercy, rich in his love, has not left you to your sin. He is calling you to repentance. And when you come and when you stop trusting in yourself, trusting in what you did as a kid, trusting in your religious activity, when you come to Christ and give all your faith in him alone, he washes away your sins. He wipes them away, but then he gives you a new heart. You're actually a new, you're actually a new creature. And those of you that are in Christ, you can attest to this because the things you used to do, you don't want to do anymore. And the, the way that you used to talk is not the way you talk anymore. Things change when you come to Christ, and forgiveness is one of them. When you come to Christ, you have the power to forgive others, and that power is from Christ and Christ alone. For those of you who are in Christ, you know you've been saved, but you still struggle with forgiveness. You're not the only one. This is probably, as I said in the introduction, one of the hardest things for a believer to obey is to forgive others. But let me help you out. The root is pride. The root is pride. You're prideful, brother, sister. If you struggle with forgiveness, you struggle with pride. Repent and humble yourself 
and seek to learn more of his grace. Seek to learn more of God's mercy upon your own life. And God will do the work of sanctification if you struggle with it and you're deeply grieved over the fact as as a believer you you find it really hard to forgive that one person or to forgive uh, these things that happen. Trust God. Seek after Him. Uh, Jesus said that He will sanctify those who He saves. So have faith that God will work in your life. It may not be magical and, and overnight. Sanctification is a process, friends. But seek Christ and have faith in Christ for your, not only for your salvation, uh, but for your sanctification. Amen? Flee to Him and confess that you can't do it. Just confess, Lord, I can't, for I don't have anything in me to forgive this person or to forgive that person. It's only when you confess and give up, friends, can the Holy Spirit work in your heart and in your mind. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much, Lord, for the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts, Lord, whatever areas of our life, Father, that we've failed in this area, I pray, Lord, that you would bring it, create in us a clean heart. Father, show us the deep roots of bitterness towards others who wronged us in the recent past or in the far past, Lord, where we never truly forgave them as you forgive them completely, affectionately, and habitually. Help us, Lord, to have the view of your glory, to forgive others. Lord, I pray right now for the marriages that you would help the husbands and wives to easily forgive each other when we step on each other's toes, when we say something that's offensive. Help us, God, as it says in Proverbs 19, it is to the glory of man to overlook the transgression. God, help us to not receive the offense, but to overlook these little things that we so easily take offense of, God. I know I am so guilty, God, of of taking such little, minute things offensive and harboring those. Lord, forgive us for the pride that we've had and have towards us. Father, we pray that we would have humble hearts, that we would grow in our understanding of mercy, Lord, that you would be glorified as we forgive others. In the same way you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen.